1: RPGbot.podcast. I'm Randall James, your second-level podcast host, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Random Pal. Evening. Tyler, what are we going to do today? Today we're going to talk about running one-shots
0: and what level you should run a one-shot at. If you've ever run a one-shot and game, you've probably looked at it and thought, okay, we're going to make everyone level one, and we're going to ask the very simple question,
1: why? Yeah, no, I think that's a good summary of exactly where this came from. I can say, spoiler I don't think the right answer is one in most cases and my early, you know, starts and stops in tabletop gaming were really frustrating because I kept having these level one adventures and it's like, this character sucks and I don't enjoy playing it. And I keep having to do it over and over again, hoping that one day I'll make it a little bit further. Level one is a really rough place to be.
2: Level one is where a substantial majority of Characters that are going to die, die, because you have very little by way of defenses, you have very little by way of hit points. A stray crit can kill you from full, which is incredibly frustrating. And there's a lot of classes that don't really feel like their classes at level 1 because they haven't hit their subclass. You can feel like, or you can say, I'm going to be an assassin,
1: and someone says, cool, but you're a rogue. <laughs> yeah, you haven't quite made it there yet. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. And so what we're going to do in this episode, we're going to talk about 5th edition. We're also going to spend a little bit of time in Pathfinder 2. And then we also want to talk about what are the targets. So do you have new players? Do you have folks who are experienced in one tabletop role-playing game but not another? Or do you have some concept you want to execute? Uh, so spoiler alert, that's what we're going to do. It's going to happen. <laughs> so let's, let's start with 5e. Tyler, I'm going to point to you. What is the right level to be running your one-shots for 5e? What a great question
0: without a good answer. (laughs) (laughs) So it depends on what you're trying to do. A lot of times when you're going to run a one-shot, you might be running it either... Maybe you're playing with a group that you haven't played with before. Maybe you're playing with some new players. Maybe you have a gap between games and you're just like, hey, we we need to fill a session. Let's do a one-shot. And depending on your objective for the one-shot, you want that to be at a different level. So I want to talk first about novice players, people who are new to the game, especially maybe completely new to tabletop RPGs. Those low-level one-shots are really important for them because it gives them time to understand just the basics of the game, the basics of mechanics. Even just doing a first-level one-shot that frailty that your characters have the mechanical simplicity the lack of options that you have can actually be advantageous for new players if you've never played DD before and someone hands you a fifth level wizard and says good luck you're kind of in trouble if they hand you a first level wizard you've got like two spells some cantrips and a stick it's like all right goblins go get them
1: I will say, I feel like that even cuts both ways. Like, if we think about that fifth edition spellcaster, immediately, like, as the DM is like, okay, well, are you a wizard or are you a sorcerer? What what spells do you have prepared today, wizard? And that person looks at you and they're like, "Uh, I I have all the ones that are on my sheet. Is that an answer? Can I say that? (laughs) And I do think, like, that's exactly the advantage of, like you say, if I give you that level one, there's super view options, and we can get to the simple things like, what's a spell attack? what's a saving throw? This is a place where if you do have someone experienced
2: in your group, you can really leverage that. If you are uh, a DM running and, and you know, you're know you the only person who's played before, uh, you're going to be a hot commodity if you try and have players build their own characters. This raises a really interesting question for your one-shots. Are you building your own characters to give to your players ahead of time, or are the players building their characters? That really becomes a, a question more of, again what is your target audience? If you have a group of all veterans, you're just going to say, yes, you know, go at it. But at many low-level one-shots are because you are either introducing people who have never played that particular system or TTRPGs in general to what d can be. And so a lot of times you want to remove a lot of the stress from them by having these characters pre-built. Because really, as cliche as the saying that you never get a second chance at a first impression is, it really applies to introducing people to t- uh, tabletop role-playing gaming. It is no lie that it is a complex hobby. I will give huge props to Wizards for making 5th edition by far the most approachable that DD has ever been, and really most role-playing games with much weight have been. But it's still a lot. It's still a lot of math. It's still a lot of tracking... Why does this go here? Why does this go here? And on the one hand, you can try and just get by, and especially if your players are you know, more interested in just experiencing the little one-shot story than really learning DD. you can get away with a lot of I'm just going to build you a level one or two character and you can enjoy fist rock groin the monk <laughs> and a real character that showed up in one of my games. <laughs> just enjoy participating in the story. Or, you know, you can take this as a way of guiding somebody and like, all right, there's a lot of complexity because character creation is honestly one of the most complex parts of role-playing games. So, you know, you can guide them through at a very low level, like, all right, we're going to build you at level one because you really only have like five decision points. And then we can add those decision points later on if you decide that this is something that you're actually enjoying.
1: I want to make the first assertion and then whatever you disagree with, I want you to push back on. I think really the only way you should be playing your one-shots at first or second level is if you are DMing from it for a group of new players who have never done it before, and you just want to teach them a system. I would even say if you have somebody who really knows 5e well, but doesn't know Pathfinder or vice versa, even those folks you could start at a higher level than level 1, level 2. And then I'm going to double down on that by saying I think random you nailed it, The most complicated part of getting started, I do not think is playing the game as a first or second level character. The hardest part is creating that character. And so doing, you know, we have a a great resource, we'll link in the show notes, where Tyler walks our our good friend Jody through creating a character to play in a one-shot. Do that with your players. If this is a hobby you're trying to share, you're evangelizing, you're trying to bring people into it, sit down with them and help them build that character. And then you'll be able to show up, you'll play that one shot level one, level two. I would even say by the end of it, just, uh, hey, everybody, congratulations, you're all level three. Let's have a real game if we choose to play again. <laughs> so one more thing I want to
0: touch on for playing at levels one and two, those are good levels to understand how dying works in the game, because you're probably going to die. If you've played the fifth edition starter set, the first encounter is three hop or sorry three goblins with short bows. If you listen to our episode from last week with Keith Alman, goblins can be really scary if they ambush you. And I have run I've run Lost Mine at Vandelver for a, a a group of fairly experienced players. It was their first time with fifth edition. Random, I'm pretty sure you were in that group, but it only lasted one session because. You weren't? Okay. I'm getting the shaking head. But anyway, I ran it for a few people who've been playing D&D with me for years and we almost got a TPK to three goblins by the roadside. Level one, very lethal, and that might teach new players, you might actually die in this game. Like, your character might die. This isn't a video game where you're going to pop back up and be like, ah, yes, uh, green mushroom, I'm fine. That becomes less of a problem as you gain levels and you get access to more healing options and things like that, but Understanding what it feels like to have a character die at early levels can be a helpful lesson for people new to the hobby.
1: Yeah, it's like, oh, we've lost Jim. Oh, no. But look, Tim, his identical brother, who's had the exact same training, ready (laughs) to go. (laughs) No, but but, I mean, that's a good point. Like, let's double down. So, we've already established that if you're running a, a first or second level group in a one shot, it's because you're introducing the new players. I would agree with Tyler, like, let them experience the pain of death. One, I'll point out, you said you almost had a TPK, which meant you didn't, which meant everybody was able to get up. They were able to use their hit dice. They were always like, okay, that was a bad idea. What if we, you know, what if we sucked less next time? <laughs> and they continued on. But as a, as a DM, I think in that scenario, even if you get there, find a way to let it through, or like, oh, and then a group of identical adventurers comes in and finds all the bodies. Let's, let's just keep going. Let them have their fun, right? <laughs> I, I have definitely done that. I have been the party
2: who a consideration was made where I would end up as the party who came in, and I've definitely had one of the long-running jokes in my game. Uh, One of my uh, players had a really cool barbarian character named Katusha, which is apparently like a a Russian version of our Katie, and he played that character. It was a great character. He died. Kathrisha showed up. (laughs) (laughs) So on and so on. Right, well, I, and that, and that was it, you know, Kathrisha made it for quite a while, but some people do get really attached to their characters, and there's, especially for these new players who you are introducing to a system, don't punish them for the high lethality of low levels. You know, if you do, spoilers for about 20 minutes from now, if you do try and turn this one-shot into like, okay, well, you enjoyed this, let's maybe continue this this story on. If somebody died, but they were really enjoying uh, a, a fragile rogue life. Don't make them re-roll. If they want to just play that rogue again, that's fine. The The purpose here is the table has fun. And especially as people are being introduced to the system for the first time, forcing them into trying to become invested in one character and then immediately become invested in a different character is not going to be an easy task, and a lot of people are going to buck that.
1: I do I want to give a little bit of a special consideration to Pathfinder 2. So I, I was talking to Tyler ahead of this episode because uh, he's DM'd for me, or I apologize, he has would for me several times in, in PF2. And the first time I did not own the core rulebook yet, so I was just trying to do this with online resources. And the only tabletop game that I've ever played is 5e until I played Pathfinder 2. And I did not get it at all. <laughs> it was very confusing, and I'm trying to create this character, and I'm, I'm asking for help, and I kind of got it two things one like sitting down in a like a one-on-one and just running through okay no kidding how do i make this character probably would have made a lot more sense to me two having the core cool rule book in front of me was tremendous so i i initially had like some hesitance in saying for D, you could start somebody who can count to 20 at third level and they'll be fine that would that'd be my assertion that is my assertion totally pathfinder 2 I was hesitant, and then I got the core cool rulebook in front of me, and I'm like, oh, actually, this is perfectly lovely, and, and and I do think as long as you have that resource, you're probably good to go. Special <laughs>
2: sidebar rant. Uh, yes, but that core rulebook is like 600-something pages. Yeah. <clears throat> and as someone who has not played just fit, uh, three, or 5th edition, as someone who is 20-odd years, I tried to sit down and make a character using just online resources, and I, I think I technically made a character... It wasn't good. Probably wasn't right. I didn't understand how I wasn't offered some of the options in the builder that I was using that I thought I was going to be offered. So Pathfinder 2, you definitely want a guide for. Yeah, at at some point we'll need to create some resources for how to get started
0: with PF2. But yes, Pathfinder 2, first level characters are about as complicated as third level characters in 5th edition. A first level character in Pathfinder 2nd edition always has their subclass... They have like four or five feats, maybe more depending on your your ancestry and your class. You have a lot of decision points at level one. Just in the core rulebook, there's well over a hundred ways to build a wizard before you start picking spells. There's a lot of decision points. It is fairly complicated. The core rulebook actually does a really good job walking you through it. If you just go through the like, here's how you build the character section, but I'm pretty sure that section isn't reproduced in online SRDs. Like archive of Nethys doesn't have it because they can only reproduce the actual like stats. Essentially. If you're going to play Pathfinder second edition and build a character, grab the core rulebook. Otherwise it's totally fine to just use pregens in one shots. Randall, I just ran for you and some of our and some of our other regular D anD D folks the big trouble and little Absalom one shot, which, which was us, awesome. Yeah, it took us about four hours of total play time to get through. You play a party of level one kobolds dungeon crawling an old lady's basement.
1: <laughs> Spoilers <laughs> it's wonderful.
0: Spoilers. It's. I, it's on the tin um like part, part of the splash art is an elderly woman giving cookies to kobolds. it's wonderful it is a good adventure yeah. if you're going to play Pathfinder second edition for the first time i i strongly recommend that and then go to the starter kit which also has pre-gen characters but probably want to play pf2 a couple times before you
1: try and build your first character yeah spoiler those cookies were delicious yeah <laughs> Yeah, but if you have the core rulebook in front of you, though, like, in the introductory matter, there's a section with a sample character of, like, step-by-step, here's how you build a character. And then there's a section on how do you level up that character. Um, And then as you read on and you get into the Ancestry's backgrounds and then finally in the classes, like, in the class guide, they actually have a section where they're like, this section only exists to remind you to take your Ancestry (laughs) feats. And so there's a there's a fixed schedule that you get your ancestry feats, and then every like similar to the player's handbook, where there's kind of like a quick summary of like here's what you get at every level. Each class also has that. It's just that, I, yeah, the options, you know, the combinatorics on the options are ridiculous. But I do think it's pretty easy to follow if you're sitting there with one fiscal book in front of you. I say that to say we'll have an affiliate link where you'll be able to purchase the Pathfinder Two Core Rulebook in the show notes. You can find that. <laughs> yeah. It, it is a pretty cool resource. It is. It's a good but, book. And, and I want to roll all this up that I think if you have the book and you read through it and you're a person who's generally familiar with TTRPGs, I do think you could skip to a more interesting level. Um, the cool thing is by third level, it's, it's interesting still. Like you have plenty of feats in your pocket. You've been able to make lots of choices. You've had some customization. I think you're ready to party. So yeah, I think, I think we've nailed down novice players. What, what do you folks think? Yeah, I think so. We're now ready to level up. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about experienced players, folks who generally understand TTRPGs. One better is if they even already know the system. And, and I'm going to take a step back again. I keep going backward and forward. I feel like at this point, it is torture to make the folks that you've been playing with for two years in a system... Go back and play a level one character. I kind of agree. I sincerely believe that. Like as <laughs> I and we play, we play two hours a week. This is what we're able to make time for. Like you're going to make me for what is that going to wind up being? Two weeks, three weeks, a month? Play a level one character
0: in fifth edition. The experience point progression is set up in such a way that you can be expected to play one four to six hour session at level one one four-to-six-hour session at level two, and then after that, the space between levels gets a bit longer. But since we play two hours a week, yeah, those little levels can take a really long time to
2: get through. Yeah. As someone who has made... I don't think I'm in triple digits yet, but I'm probably getting there. Numbers of characters, especially in in 5th edition, where a lot of classes don't have their subclasses yet at level 1. Playing a level 1, it doesn't matter if you're a level 1 rogue who wants to be an assassin or a level 1 rogue who wants to be an arcane trickster. You're just a level 1 rogue. And,
1: like, great. (laughs) Ah, I see you're a druid. Can you become an animal? Well, no, not yet. (laughs) Sure can't. (laughs) Right?
2: Um, And and so a, a lot of things not only don't have their flavor, but they're just really frustrating. So I, boy, I had an example and then you interrupted me and I lost it. My Ah. bad, buddy. My bad.
1: I was just really excited to make fun of (laughs) druids who can't pick up animals. (laughs) What are you even
2: doing? (laughs) What are you even doing? No, but I, I mean, that's, that's really the point, especially like I was talking about where you've played how many characters you're not really investing in this You're You're certainly creating a character that you want to play, but, as a one-shot, this is where you get your, your characters named Medium Rary. <laughs> <laughs> this is where people go to have a little bit of fun. And exactly like Tyler was talking about, you know, maybe you fill a, uh, a gap between sessions, which uh, we're going to maybe hit on filling that with other uh, games like I'm doing right now. I'm currently running Dot Dungeon, which is a fabulous system that uh, I will talk more about in a couple episodes, uh, when we talk about media, really letting characters hit their stride. Level four, if you're lo- if you're multiclassing, maybe level five. This is a perfect sweet spot, and we- we've actually done this twice. Right, we we have played one shots for Halloween and for the winter holidays, and we did. We played one level four, one level five, and the characters felt great at level four in fifth edition. You get to pick up an ASI, which um, is almost always going to be some kind of feat to make your character do something fun.
1: ASI stands for? <laughs> Ability score increase? Yes. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> okay. I, and sincerely, I was actually sitting here going, I have no idea what that means. Oh. <laughs> I
2: also don't think about it a lot. It's just, it's it's an AC. Oh, no, wait, that's... <laughs> yeah. um, Isn't that a That's how that works. The, the, the ACs. No, no, that's ASI. No, <laughs> oh. a, a C... A, a-, a key us a- anyway um <laughs> right but so like these are where you're gonna get characters <laughs> with flavor right Th- this is where you're going to be an assassin this is where you're going to be your particular paladin oath and this is where you're going to get enough choice points to make it actually feel fun and that's really the I, I, especially right like if we are doing a one-shot for experienced players they know the game. They're not here to learn. They're here to have fun in a way that's different from whatever their main game is or whatever the last thing they played is. So that's that's really, I think, the best way to get somebody the feeling of fun while still keeping things constrained enough that you as a DM are not going to have a really hard time trying to
1: manage your bag of cats that you're dealing with. <laughs> And one other thing I'll say for it, because I did have this experience of like, if you're playing the same group of level one or even level two characters, it feels like you're playing the same game with the same folks over and over again, but you can't quite get that campaign going, if that's the case. I feel like at level four, even if it's a one shot, if if folks are building their characters slightly different ways, it really does feel like playing a different game with a different group of characters every time you approach it.
0: Yeah, level 4 also gives you enough room to multi-class. Like, you'll give up that ability score increase, which is a huge increase in power a lot of times. But if you, like, maybe you want to play a Hexadin, a level 3 Paladin, a level 1 Warlock, that's still a solid build at level 4. So you have enough room to experiment there that you can make your mechanical... Your mechanical choice is distinct and interesting. And yeah, like you guys have said, it it feels like a different game with a different party as opposed to, oh great, another party of level one cleric fighter rogue wizard.
1: And and so we've said like four through six is all kind of fun. It still feels like a young character that isn't fully fleshed out because it's not. There's a lot of options that are in front of it, but it's a, a lot of fun. And, and of course, this is for 5e um, for Pathfinder, I actually kind of want to push for off. For Pathfinder, I want to say, like, it feels like everything starts at level five, right? You have your Ancestry feat. You should be getting some of your class feats. You should have gotten a bump in skill feats. Uh, and so the, the feat tree is kind of opening up in front of you. You can make a lot of foundational choices that are going to be really important for that character as it goes. But I feel like you can have a lot of fun at level five in PF2.
0: Yeah, I agree. A lot of the PF2 one-shot adventures that get published are set at level 5. There's one that they keep giving away on Rule 20. Uh, It's pirate-themed. I'm struggling to remember the name, but we'll link it in the show notes. And Yeah, it it looks like a lot of fun. It's set at level 5. You get some pregens. And yeah, Randall, like you said, you've got got your notable subclass features. You've had a few class feats. Your first Ancestry feat after level 1 comes online. So there's a lot of room to build a really interesting character by that point, but it's still not so complicated that things are going to be a problem. Now, I, I, I want to jump back to 5th edition real quick. I forgot to say one thing. So there's a big CR jump at level 5, the uh, challenge rating. The the encounters get a lot more difficult at level 5 all of a sudden. like You go 4, things are progressing nicely, and then you hit 5 and just shoot straight up. Because at level 5, martial characters usually get extra attack, Spellcasters get big spells like Fireball. The party's ability to output damage is significantly higher all of a sudden, so the encounters get more difficult to compensate for that. Uh, we'll, we'll share a link to my practical guide to campaign planning, but I did the math on, and figured out how many encounters it takes characters to go from a level to the next level, and it's it's roughly the same at levels like 1 and 2, it's a few more at 3 and 4. At level 5, it, it just shoots up. And, like, there is no other level that takes as many encounters to go up a level as from level 5 to level 6. So, like, you're expected to hit that level, kind of, ch- like, tread water a little bit while you get your bearings. And then you can move on to level 6 and carry on and things kind of stabilize.
1: So I'm, I'm smoking. I'm smirking in the video, and everybody's just staring at me, wondering why. I'm, when Tyler says, like oh, level five, you get fireball," and of course you take it. It reminds me of a time that uh, th- during our game, Tyler tweeted that he didn't catch what spell I picked up at fifth level, but surely it was fireball. <laughs> and then it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, spoiler, folks! It wasn't. It was <laughs> Melf's tiny meteors, and I love them, and I'm keeping them. <laughs> like four things with that in the first encounter that you
0: used it and it worked out it was good <laughs> it's such a silly spell it really yeah.
1: is what's really funny though because again i'm i'm the most novice of the game is after like i'm throwing my tiny meteors at things and then i'm like hey could i have done that with a fireball and everybody's like yeah you totally could have done a fireball you're <laughs> it's fine <though."> <laughs> <laughs> but you couldn't have done it as a bonus action and and that's really what what that, that's all that you ever want. <laughs> I get to deal damage as a bonus action? As a, as a sorcerer?
2: Uh, yes, it's called Quicken. <laughs> uh, wait, doesn't that, doesn't that do your taxes? <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it pays well, that,
0: people, Tyler. On the episode. All right, there we go. Show notes yeah. are going to get real weird today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, we'll, have an, we'll have an affiliate link to Quicken and into it. Uh, everybody, it's tax season you're welcome <laughs>
0: I've got to I've got to say we have we very frequently have some very strange things in our show notes, no one has ever commented on it, so either people are just totally used to it, or people are just missing out on all the goofs that I bury in there because there
2: are some
1: yeah.
2: I'm, I'm sorry, if we're looking at buried goofs uh, please at some point go back and look at the transcription for the episode a few episodes ago, uh, where Randall's voice was credited as uh, the confused Navi Deckard Kane hybrid. Carry
1: on. I remember that. Yep. Uh, Stay uh, a while.
0: That, oh, another thing people apparently don't realize, we do an audio transcription of every single one of the episodes in a blog post on RPGbot.net, so if there's ever something we say and you're like, what are they saying? This is garbled words. Yeah, it's it's all in text. It's all in there. Go
2: check it out. Also, cool thing means that you can uh, Google search it because um, you can, you know, if you want to Google like a phrase that we've said mm-hmm. and you can do uh, the operator site colon RPGbot.net. There you go. You'll find it real easy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I do that all the time if I'm trying to refer back to stuff because I'm not going to sit here and scrub an entire episode so that I just go to the site and I search, text search. So that, sincerely, pro tip, yeah. buried in the episode. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we're being goofy, so I'm going to continue being goofy. In the show notes, there is the phrase classless systems, and I'm supposed to get us to go to that, and I have no idea what it means.
0: Uh, well, those are systems where you go to uh, put your elbows on tables and belch during dinner. It, it was good. Jim it was fell fun. flat. It was fine. No, all it right. was alright. Uh, so a classless system is a system. Tyler's <laughs> build... part of
1: the bourgeois. But anyway, here we go.
0: <laughs> A classless system is a system where you build a character without the concept of a class. So. You think in d you have your elf wizard, your dwarf fighter, etc. So you you take off that second noun there. So you might be a dwarf, elf, human, and then the rest is more freeform. So these are systems like GURPS, Shadowrun, lots of others. Basically, instead of building a character using discrete levels, where you, you gain a level, you gain some stuff, you gain another level, you gain some more stuff you generally have a point-based system that you use to buy specific capabilities for your character. So, like, Shadowrun, you may be, oh, I want to be a little bit of Decker and a little bit of Street Samurai, so I'm going to put some points into hacking and swinging swords, and I'm just going to build my character however I want that way. And it, it allows a lot of flexible customization of your character. Like, if you look at Pathfinder 2nd Edition, say, like, this is not enough than a classless system may be for you. But it also means that you frequently don't have those discrete roles where, like, I am the cleric, I'm going to do some magic stuff and probably some supporting and some healing and some blasting of bad guys. And then if you're playing GURPS, you're like, my character calls themselves a cleric, but I have never once cast a spell. If, If I understand that correctly, so we can go all the
1: way from, like, 5e where it's like oh you know did you did you take a level in this no level no skill that's it to pathfinder 2 it's like well are you technically qualified to take this feat if you are it's yours and then finally go all the way to something like gerp or Shadowrun, run where nah like i whatever yeah sure yeah you're a cowboy go nuts <laughs> yeah pretty much okay
0: so those systems are a little harder ...to account for when you're doing one-shots, and I don't have a ton of experience with those systems, so I'm definitely not the right person to ask about this. But you will generally create characters with some budget of some kind, like GURPS, you'll have some number of points to spend... Fantasy Flight Star Wars, you'll have your species, your career, and then depending on your species, you'll get some number of experience points that you can then spend on specific upgrades, like buying skills, buying talents from your talent trees. Shadowrun, you'll... uh, The current edition has this priority system that's a little too complicated to go into right now, but you'll essentially get your meta type, which is your D&D equivalent of a race, then money, skills, things, and then you'll have some amount of karma, which is Shadowrun's experience system that you can then use to customize your character a little bit further past character creation. But if you're playing those classless systems, like the starting budget for your characters, think of it as the equivalent of level one, and then the rules for that game will generally give you some guidance about how much experience or whatever to give your players as they as they progress through the system. So like edge of the empire recommends 10 to 20 experience points per session, basically. So you'll give that to your characters every session and they advance by gaining experience points. And if you want to run a one shot, that's a little more powerful. You can just say like, okay, give them maybe 10 sessions worth of experience or 20 sessions worth of experience, something like that. And that will give them a larger budget to build and customize their characters. That might be more appropriate for whatever challenge you're planning to give them.
1: And kind of the rules still apply, to what we were talking about before. That if it's somebody who's new to it, it probably is better to start off at that level one character. But if everybody understands the rule set, 100% do exactly what Tyler's saying. Give them, like, here's your bank of XP. Go spend it the way that you know how to spend it to build that character that you want to play at this level. And there's
2: definitely some transfer skills here. I, you know, for me to go from a ton of 3.x to Pathfinder 2 would not be that much of a stretch, but, like, when I did go into Tyler's Edge of the Empire game, I definitely wanted to start in level one because that was a very different system, right? You know, this is, all of a sudden, like, alright, well, yeah, I, I understand how talent trees work, which of these options are good, and none of us, I, I, Tyler had played, I think, a different Final Fantasy, or, not Final Fantasy, a, a, <laughs> different, a different Fantasy Flight game, yeah, and, and had some experience with the system, but, like, yeah, it it was still not enough for him to really be able to understand enough to like yeah. describe a good character creation to Yeah the, the... it's like is this going to be good? I don't know. What's a combat? I <laughs> the other fantasy flight system I had played was Dark
0: Heresy, which is a completely different system from from their Star Wars game, so like a, the experience did not transfer. <laughs> So we were all going in blind, and we skipped the starter set with it.
2: <laughs> but but that's just that. I mean that that really nails home. Like, consider your transfer of training that your players are going to have. A D and D ish to a D and D ish is you know going to be fine. But if you are going to try and run a one shot in something really far afield like Dungeons of the Dragoning,
1: <laughs> maybe consider taking it a little bit easy before you go ham. Actually, something that came out when we were getting prepped for this episode, Tyler, you mentioned this idea of like, yeah, you know, here's, here's 100, 200, 300 XP, go build a character. In Shadowrun, like, here's uh, a ton of Nuyen, here's a ton of Karma, go build a character. In 5e, it's actually kind of hard to get an answer to how much wealth, how many magic items should my 10th level characters have. Uh, and so actually... Tyler you you know hey RPG bot you solved that problem right uh, I sure did so this
0: episode will come out Wednesday night Thursday morning uh I, we're recording this on Sunday night the article is going to be posted tomorrow but as of when you're listening to this I have posted an article on starting above first level in fifth edition, which includes a detailed wealth by level table, including magic items and all those things, guidance on how to build your character without accidentally cheating suggestions for how to bring your character into an existing party. If your character died, or if you're joining a group midstream, or if you're playing a one shot and you're like, how do I build these characters? It, It solves all your problems. Well, not all your problems. It won't make you dinner.
1: Yeah, but but it is important, right? Like if if you're if you're showing up to a party, like you're joining a party who's mid campaign, they probably have accumulated a few magic items. They've probably accumulated some gold and spent them on something. And so I, I think uh, you know, having read the article, I think it does a great job of highlighting like, hey DM, here is my starting offer for what I think this character ought to be able to come with. And here's what's going to happen: your dungeon master is going to look at the site and be like, oh well, it's an authority, so we're ready to party. <laughs> you're <a> welcome, listener. <laughs>
2: I just have to say, personally, I have been wanting this since 5th edition's inception. I'm reasonably certain it's page 106, although it's been long enough that I don't remember. In the Dungeon Master's Guide of 3.5 was this table that Tyler has recreated, the Wealth by Level. And I had that page number memorized for like a decade because it was so integral to creating characters at higher level. Now, obviously, 3.x, the math, was a little bit more concrete so that it mattered more. But still, it's a great resource. You should
1: check it out. (laughs) I want to go back to kind of what do we do for experienced players. So we talked about 4 through 6 is awesome for 5e. For Pathfinder, maybe starting at 5 makes a little bit more sense because you're going to get just a little bit more, and I think it's going to make the game a lot more fun. What about everything in between? Like What about all the way up to 20? Uh, one, One idea that I want to bring up, we always talk about making the game in context, making a character in context. Here's what I would say. If you're a DM... And you want to have the best BBG that you can. Like, you have this idea in your mind. Like, let's say it's Dungeons and Dragons. I want them to fight a red dragon. And so you flip open your resources and you find, okay, I've got this young red dragon with the CR of 10. You can't take four level four characters and say, hey, folks, you're going to fight a young red dragon. It makes absolutely <laughs> no sense, right? Okay.
0: So if you have a boss monster that you want to build your adventure around grab a copy of Xanathar's guide to everything flip to chapter two it's the dungeon masters workshop and look for the designing encounters section I think it's called they present an alternate system to the one in the DMG so in the dungeon masters guide you'll have essentially an XP budget like you have some number based on the number of players in your party and their level and you multiply that and you addition, subtraction, there's the easy, medium, hard, deadly scale, like there's all that and you could do all that math and that's fine. If you say, I want to take an adult red dragon, it is CRX what level do I need the party to be? Go to Xanathar's, flip open the table there's a table titled Solo Monster Challenge Rating that is very specifically for legendary monsters and you can say okay, it's CRX How many players do I have? What level should they be? So let's say we've got a CR 10 dragon and five players. It looks like the players should be level seven for that to be an adequate challenge for them. That entire system, a lot of people find it a lot easier than using the XP budget system. It makes it a lot easier to include like a mix of different CRs. So like honestly, it's a really good system. And another thing that's rolling out this week, I'm updating the Encounter Builder to include helpful tables to help you use this system, which I don't think I told you guys about. So surprise. <laughs> hey, so we'll great link... news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll link the Encounter Builder in the show notes as well yeah if you've found the xp budget system to be a pain this might be a good alternative it's also a great way to figure out like yeah what do you need for a one shot let's say we've got that cr10 dragon we've got four players we're building a one shot so tell them level eight no other context give them the practical guide to starting above first level and they can build their characters with all the gear and stuff that they need and you're ready to go
1: yeah, I think and I think this is a fantastic way to build a game because again, there are these amazing uh, monsters or amazing creatures that you would love to use as the BBG. And if you're always playing somebody else's like published campaign or you're playing like these one-shots that are starting at low level, you never get an opportunity to meet the most interesting creatures in 5E. And so I think starting with the basis of like I want to see what combat looks like with one of these things to me makes complete sense. And to talk about
2: a way that you can take that and amp it up to 11, as part of a contest that Dungeons & Dragons, WotC, had back a long time ago, uh, I wrote a... It was meant to be a short module with uh, my dad, and, and we basically created this floating city. There was a bunch of stuff, but the thing is, this was intended for level 18 characters. And that meant that I got to include a lot of really cool monsters things like a flight of beholders and really high level undead
1: and that is a phrase i never wanted to hear <laughs> <laughs> you correct yes it, because it turns
2: out that having beholders prepare actions where like one of them has their eye open then everyone else prepares actions for close eyes shoot beam shoot beam shoot beam and then the last one prepares an action to open its eye again is really awful thing to do to your players Fifteen-year-old me was a little sadistic in D and D, but you got to play around with all of these super fun, high-level things that you know have these really intimidating stat blocks. Uh, the the final boss for that in Three Point was the one before Great Worm. I think it was ancient. ancient? Yeah, an, an ancient red dragon pretending to be a white dragon so that people would use the wrong element on him because you know dragons they're crafty. And so just getting to do that in a really a low investment environment where people are enjoying their characters but you know if your pile of bs tpks the group in two rounds well then eh, sorry but you know we got to have fun and it's not like i killed the character that you've been spending two years inhabiting using one shots two shots as a way to just explore concepts for these veteran players can be incredibly rewarding and that was in fact the last time we ever played 3.5 and then we transitioned to that long-running pathfinder yeah that was
0: a good session my my character if you if you look at patreon or twitter currently the banners on both is uh me just doing the math on how much damage my character could do i got the math wrong i i i undervalued it by about 400
1: only only 400 yes so so don't tweet at you with uh critiques of the 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 banner
0: yeah, right. In yeah. all of its uh, low pixel glory, because I took it on an old camera phone way back when. That's been up ever since.
1: All right, so I want to I want to kind of do like a quick roll up because we've we've said a lot, but I don't know if we've said much yet. <laughs> for for novice players, we think level one, level two makes sense in both Pathfinder and Two E, because you want to introduce the game, you want to get them comfortable, you want to get them excited about it. For experienced players folks who have played TTRPGs a lot, or folks who have at least played a particular rule set a couple times. It makes sense to hop in uh, for 5e, maybe 4 through 6 is great because there's still a lot of opportunity in front of them, but at least there's choices, and it'll be exciting. It'll feel like a new game every time. For PF2, maybe you need to bump that up to level 5. And then more generally, if you as a DM have some creature that you want to have be or BBG, it makes perfect sense to have them you know, okay, pick that and then back out from that what your player character's levels ought to be. Now, I think, you know, you're sitting at home and you're pretty crafty and you've had an original idea that nobody else has ever had. I'm going to tell everybody we're going to play a one-shot, but then at the end of it, I'm going to be like, surprise, we could keep playing with these characters (laughs) and everybody's going to love you for it and you're going to have a campaign in front of you.
0: You monster, how dare you?
1: No, I mean we we all try to do this 100% like yeah. cuz it's it's like hey, you've never played a tabletop game. Let's get a campaign going and they're like I don't I don't even know if I want to eat lunch with you yet. Like this is <laughs> this is new and honestly, that's a lot of commitment that you're asking for me for. I don't know if I'm ready for that. What if we have coffee first? Okay. I think you could do that and I think you can have all the joy of a one-shot but still have the opportunity at the end of the game if everybody had a great time, you can of course continue it. Given that we've said
2: start at level one for mechanical, uh, the opposite of complexity, simplicity, there we go. <laughs> if you're starting at level one for simplicity, but you'd want to get people out of that really lethal zone because maybe now they are going to be invested in these characters long-term, don't hesitate to skip a level or two. Get people out of the, the super danger zone. Or, or, you know, maybe maybe that group that did that piece of the story they've come back to the tavern and they've been playing some three dragon ante, and the new party overhears them and says, Oh, well we knew that that was just the first layer in that cave. Let's go explore the rest of it. And you know, that, that would be a really easy way to like transition stuff. The, the short answer is like, there's a lot of ways to do that. And you, I mean, basically just whatever creative solution you're going to come up with to keep the players
1: at the table, even if you don't keep the exact same characters at the table, is going to work great. I think that's exactly right. And and I think there's a couple things that you can do. So one, I, I think the idea of you go back to a tavern, you have a conversation, you spill something, I think is great. I think in the middle of the game, if you can reveal some mystery, like they find a tome and there's a secret of passage in the tome. All right, They finish the one-shot, they never answer the question of that. But you can tease like, I have an idea that extends from this if you want to keep playing. And and maybe half the folks at the table are like, yeah, I want to come back. Fantastic. And the other half is like, okay, maybe this isn't for me. They're wrong, and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing is everybody has a good time, but these aren't the characters that they're in love with. I love the idea of basing, like, okay, look, you know, whatever we achieve right now is going to directly impact some bonus that I'm going to give you for a campaign that we might start. You have the group, they fight the the BBG and they win. But then afterwards, like a bunch of minions of the BBG start pouring in. And so you say, like, okay, stand up as long as you can. However many minions you take out is going to directly impact. And w- what does that do? Maybe the town they're from gives them like a certain amount of uh, prosperity, you know, which means that your the next group of adventures start wealthier, start at a higher level. They start with Maybe some additional feat that you just grant out of nowhere. Or maybe the way is open for them to start the campaign in an exciting way. But you can give them that where it's like, okay, if the only thing we do right now is a one shot, we're going to go out in glory and it's going to be fantastic. But also Bro, imagine why you got to objective survive me too soon. <laughs> <laughs> is This is a Halo Reach. <laughs> It'll yeah, be yeah. on the show. Now. Okay, we'll, we'll make it happen. Um, but but so it'd be it'd be amazing, like to sit back there at a table, and then you start telling the story of these legendary adventurers who wandered in the cave to fight. Like I said, level one, what was it? Like one goblin. And <laughs> no, okay, I'm I'm halfway kidding. And and you know through long odds and and you know idiotic rolls, they managed to survive and look at all the bounty that is now in front of you because of it. As a player, that's super rewarding, and I won't even realize you duped me into playing D&D with you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I like all these ideas, and um, even if you do start at level one with that one shot, and then want to jump up to a higher level, like, yeah, you guys have offered some great suggestions. Just doing a time skip, and, like, maybe some of the characters move on to distant pastures, Maybe some of the people liked their characters and kept them. So you say, like, yeah, the two people who stayed in town, they're level 3 now instead of level 1, and they've made some new friends who are going
1: adventuring with them. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. All right, I have to ask the question. Either system, do you ever allow a 20th level (sighs) one-shot?
0: A 20th level one-shot is something that everyone should do at least once because almost no one makes it to level 20 any other way.
2: I remembered that I actually ran that Floating City module for a different group that basically did it as a one-shot between our regular sessions because we we made it a few rooms in and never got anywhere. But that was actually the first time I ever got to Adjudicate Wish, (laughs) and it was a ton of fun. It's like ninth level spells. Obviously, in in 5th edition, they're they're even more special because you get an 1st-level spell um, a day, and maybe even ever, depending on your class. Getting to play around with those crazy powerful things without having to deal with the long-term consequences in your, your long-running story can be really satisfying.
1: You meant to say a ninth level, like one ninth level spell?
2: Yes, okay. and
1: ninth level spell. And ninth level spell. Okay, okay. <laughs> just making sure. Yeah, I think I think that makes perfect sense to me. And for the exact reason you say, like so view campaigns get to go this far, most published modules, and a lot of folks pay, play published modules, don't go that far. And so if you're going to get to level 20, what does that say? You have a group committed for that long. And you have a DM who can put together a story that's appealing for that long. And you have a character who can survive with you as a player driving it for that <laughs> long. You know, when you put, it's, it's like a, oh man, what's the, the great filter? That's going to drive me crazy. The, the reason why we don't find intelligent life?
0: Either no other species has made it through the Great Filter and we're the first, or we haven't hit the Great Filter yet.
1: Well, but there's, yeah, there's like 10 different reasons put together, and it's mm. somebody's hypothesis. Producer Dan, we're just going to cut this and we'll say the right thing later. It'll be great. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, like, it's it's a long shot to actually make it all their level 20s, starting a level one in a campaign with a group of other adventurers starting a level one. And I say that's eight go have fun, right? There's nothing that says that you can't just create that group of characters and go nuts. And the beauty of it is there are plenty of monsters from the Monster Manual which are not level 20 CR, not level 21 CR, level 30 CR, right? Like, you can go fight, okay, not a ton, but there are a few (laughs) creatures who, even if you've hit the peak, they're probably still going to knock you down a peg or two.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking at the Lich stat blocks, like... CR 21, just a little above 20,
1: but yeah, they'll, they'll kick your teeth in. Okay. Without Googling, I think it's Drake's equation is what I was trying to draw a second yeah. ago. Yeah. So producer Dan, don't cut that Drake's equation. <laughs> it's Drake's equation for DD. and it's, it's the Drake equation. Fine.
2: All
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be in the show notes with the right name. We hope.
1: <laughs> you got okay. Hey folks, I think we did it. And we have a question of the week this week. The question of the week comes from Oaks and Ravens on Twitter. Which do you think is the strongest overall Strixhaven background? Which do you think is the strongest class? So, yeah, they, they managed to sneak in two questions on us, and we failed to perceive that. <laughs> but we're going to
2: answer them. Uh, I'll, I'll take the first half of this because this is real easy. It's Silver Quill because that gets you silvery barbs. The new dude like that. I mean, yeah. the other ones are all really good. Or Well, the, the other ones are all good. I think the Wither Bloom is probably the least strong, in my opinion, depending on the class that you're putting it on. With Silvery Barbs being as ridiculous as it is, getting access to it as a background is crazy.
0: Yeah, I agree. Silvery Barbs is enough of a problem just on the classes that it's already on. Granting it to every spellcaster as a background is a little
1: nuts. Okay, and then the second part is like, what is the strongest class? So I actually wanted to see what you folks thought. Do you think this was a more general, what's the strongest class in 5e? Or was this what is the strongest class backed by some Strict background? Oh, well, the strongest class is the bourgeois. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: I, I very much interpreted it as your second question. You know, and and in particular, so if we look at who does giving a strict saving background, strict initiate background to who does that make much stronger? Well, if we just talked about how silvery barbs is crazy good and one of the few classes that doesn't already have it is druid chucking silvery barbs on druid not that they needed the help druids are already a very strong class but they are notably somebody who doesn't usually have something to spend their reaction on and so if they have a bunch of first level spell slots that they can just silvery barbs silvery barbs silvery barbs oh no (laughs) they did not need the help yeah, I think most
0: of the primary casters don't really need any help. They are generally among the strongest. D&D has had this long term concept of linear fighters exponential wizards, which is just the concept of how the classes scale. Like your, your fighter, barbarian, rogue, they will scale linearly as you gain levels, so if numbers will go up in mostly linear progression. Spellcasters, the things that they can do improve exponentially as you gain levels. So at first level, like you can blow somebody up. At 3rd level, you can blow a few people up. At 3rd level, you can blow everybody up. At 7th level, you can teleport. The The capabilities expand far beyond what martial characters can do, so the strongest class in any edition of D&D is almost always going to be a spellcaster and it's almost always the wizard. Just because the wizard has the best spell list and they're the coolest with their cool book that they lug around on adventures. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the wizard bias coming in strong here. Yes.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, Randall, I believe you're muted. Yeah, no, that was true. Uh, one of us has famously been banned from playing a wizard in certain games. I don't know which one of <laughs> us that is. Maybe it's the one with a wizard bias. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have it, been... was,
2: it was never a ban. It was just a
1: suggestion. No, <laughs> I...
2: I remember being a pretty strict, you were never allowed <laughs> to play a wizard again. There was maybe once or twice that I said, don't play a wizard.
1: Okay. okay. So
0: I, I deserve that. Honestly, <laughs> that's fine. Right. I'm, I'm limping along with sorcerers and causing plenty of problems.
1: <laughs> yeah. Believe me. Uh, all right. Thanks. <laughs> and thank you very much for your question. We do enjoy it. Our next episode, who put these consonants next to my spell? What are verbal, somatic and material components? Uh, yeah, that's right. We want to talk about magic. I'm Randall James. You can find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Amateur. I'm Tyler Kamster. You'll find me at
0: RPGBot.net, Facebook and Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET, and Patreon.com slash RPGBot.
2: And I'm Random Powell. Finding me does, in fact, require a DC-30 perception or investigation check, but if you do manage to find me, it's probably because you search places where people play games uh, for Harlequin or Harlequint. But mostly you'll find me here contributing to rpgbot.net with some articles, which looking to sneak a new one in there soon and here on the podcast. Awesome, and you'll awesome. also find all three of us hanging out on the Patreon-only Discord. Yeah, rpgbot.discord. Oh, <laughs> hail the
1: Leisure Illuminati. Hail. 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 You'll find the affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. You can find our podcast wherever fun podcasts are sold. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. And please, please, please share it with your friends. Uh, We can see the growth that's happening. We really appreciate how how much folks are enjoying what we're doing. Continue to tell your friends. It's going to help us grow. It's going to help us keep doing this. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at rpgpod.net or message us on Twitter at rpg.net. Thanks, folks. Have a good one. (laughs) Told it about it. <laughs> and I told him like, quick, quick, go on, dude. and I thought I didn't care. What was funny is I talked about bias, and then Random said something about bias, so I thought I was in the conversation. Like, I... Oh <laughs> well, yeah, we're hearing each other. It's going great. Wonderful.